G'day, welcome along to another sermon from Good News Christian Church in Howrah, Tasmania, Australia. I'm Bernard Kane, I'm the pastor. Get in touch sometime at goodnewschristianchurch.org or why not come by one Sunday morning. For now, here's the sermon. Uh, so um, here's where I'd like to begin just before we pray. Last month, um, Katie and I went along to a conference. Um, uh, the conference is called Multiply. Um, it's been running for a decade or so. I've been along a few times. And the heart of the conference is about church planting, church planting. So starting new churches. How do we help one another start new churches? How do we um, encourage one another to do that? What is involved? Uh, how do we multiply new ministries? Uh, what are the hurdles, the things that get in the way? Um, how do we reach new people one way or another with the old, old saving message of the Lord Jesus Christ. That was what the conference was about, multiply. Um, uh, you, you know, uh, the conference was wonderful, actually. It was, it was inspiring, uh, it was encouraging. Um, there were insights, that, that just networking opportunities that were really, really helpful, um, as I'm sure you can imagine. But it got me thinking, as it's supposed to, it got me thinking about us in, say, 10 years' time. Will we, Good News Christian Church, will we have grown to a point and then will we have planted another church somewhere here on the eastern shore? The population around us is growing, there are more and more people who need a church for them, uh, to reach them. Will we have planted another church somewhere here on the eastern shore in 10 years' time? Or will we at least have grown to a few congregations across a Sunday morning, uh, each a slightly different, with a slightly different feel? Um, a decade's a long time, isn't it? And under God, you can do an awful lot in a decade, in 10 years, if we apply ourselves to it. And that got me, I guess, one of the next questions that you then ask is, well, who? Who would we want to send or release or who would want to go to be part of this new initiative, this new hypothetical church? Let's assume, of course, that we keep growing uh, in terms of numbers here on a Sunday morning, so perhaps we haven't even met yet many of the people that we'd want to send and see go to start something new, a new congregation or a new church altogether. Um, but who are the people? If you were going to plant, to be part of a new church plant, who would you want to be part of the gang alongside you, this little hothouse, this little crack team to start a new church? Who would form the team of pioneers alongside you? Now, of course, Summerlee's Church, uh, it's not just hypothetical, is it? Summerlee's Church and Luke Hansard and Crossroads Church, they are thinking about this exact question at this very moment. Who's going to be part of the team to start this new church they're trying to get going in the city by 2020. Uh, this little hothouse, their launch team, their core group, their little mob. Now, may I just say, I think you can gain a lot from that mental exercise. And if you, you, could, you don't have to just do it at the church level, even just at the ministry team level, um, you could think about this next time you get together. If we got to start, start from scratch, if we were to begin again how we do Sunday school, or if we were to begin from scratch, how we do youth night, or indeed just how we do crash, or how, whatever it is, uh, who would we get on the team? What would we do differently? Um, what would we want to change? If we could do this any way that we wanted, and our sole priority was that it served the glory of Jesus and the growth of his body, and that was all that we were aiming for, what would we do differently? 
I think it's a liberating little thought bubble, uh, even if it doesn't yield very much. Um, but could I bring out the darker side of that same thought exercise with you? Here it is. In order to do the mental exercise of who's in, who gets to be part of the thing, you know, what does he or she bring to the team? What could we do together under God, me and this elite little band? I, a band. I think there's a darker side too, isn't it? It's who would I not want on the team, do you see? So as you perhaps run through in your mind, if I were to start this ministry again, who would I want on the team? Who are the prospective team members as you run through the list in your mind, as you perhaps walk your way through the faces of the possible people that you could have on the team, who are the faces that you get to and you just think, uh uh-uh, no thanks. I just wouldn't want them on the team. I don't want them part of the gang. In fact, if the thing's to go ahead and they're on it, then I don't want to be part of it. What does she even do? What do, Does he even do anything here at church? No, if I were putting together a church, if, if I got to choose the church members, she wouldn't make the cut. I just wouldn't bring her with... I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to be sent if he was on the team, not necessarily because she's bad news, not necessarily because I don't like him, maybe I do like him, but if I got to choose... Well, I'd choose someone else. Folks, never mind the church planting question, are there brothers and sisters in the Lord here at church who would not be part of church if it was built to your design? Let me put this one verse before us as we come to 1 Corinthians 12 and uh, prayer before that. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 18, but in fact... God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. Let's pray. Our Father God in heaven, we ask that you would lift our eyes this morning to see church, to see what we do here on Sunday mornings in far greater terms than just whether or not it suits us Would you help us please see church within a far grander frame this morning? And Father, please help us to see ourselves and our Saviour more fully and more clearly. Lord, we confess our pride and our arrogance. We tend to inflate the significance of what we do and how we serve and we tend to underrate, we tend to devalue the service of those around us. Um, Sometimes we get to thinking that if if only we were in control, we'd do a better job of this or that. We can see a better way for things to be. Oh God, would you please work within us a humility that recognises not only that you are all-powerful and all-knowing, unlike us, but that you're also all-good and all-wise, unlike us. So would you grant us that posture of patient, humble faith together, please, in the arena of church and in every other part of our lives as well, especially as we come before your word now. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So welcome back to our series on uh, Corinthians, Paul's letter to the Corinthian church, Paul the Apostle, we're in the New Testament, Paul the Apostle of the risen Lord Jesus writes this letter. Um, to the Corinthian church that we've been working our way through for a couple of weeks now. Um, Now, back in Corinth, the issue for them wasn't so much 
who is in on the church planting team, um, who are we going to send to the next new church that we're hoping to plant uh, in the next 10 years, because remember their church, the church in Corinth, this is the early church we're talking about, was relatively new. They were the church plant, well they had been fairly recently and now they were a relatively um, young little church. The question for them was more like this, yes but who are the ones who really matter? in our church, all right? We were already established, we're already here, who are the ones who really matter, who church really depends on? Which sounds a terribly ugly way to put it, of course, and that's exactly what we've seen, isn't it? Who are the ones on whom church really leans, really depends, where beats the very heart of our church? And over the past couple of weeks, through chapter 11, haven't we seen, yep, it was ugly. And so, Paul had to tell them, your significance in church, O Corinthians, does not rest, you wealthy ones, on your wealth. Uh, Your significance in church does not rest on your social position, on your social privilege, O you influential ones, you somebodies in Corinth who don't even have to work for a living. No, your poorer and frankly harder working brothers and sisters, Christ died for them every bit as much as He died for you and indeed you needed Christ to die for your arrogant souls just as much as they needed Christ to die for theirs. You can't stratify church by wealth or social pecking order. And so now this week into chapter 12 we come, yes, okay, perhaps they were saying, but, but isn't there a sense in which church does have layers, at least on a spiritual dimension? Doesn't church have to kind of break down, at least on some spiritual kind of metric? Churches, uh, church lives by, church thrives on, does it not, the spiritual life, the spirituality of its most spiritual members. So, aren't the spiritual people the ones who make the church world go around? Paul. Isn't that at least deserving of recognition or privilege, is that the right word, Uh, within church, toward the spiritual ones, do you see? The ones making the biggest spiritual contribution, because the fact of the matter is, Paul, some of us here in Corinth are making a bigger spiritual contribution than others. I nearly slid off the stage then, didn't I? Better not do that again. It was a bit exciting just for a moment there, for me at least, I wonder if it was for you as well, there we go. The fact of the matter is, Paul, that some of us here in Corinth are making a bigger spiritual contribution than others. And Paul says to them in chapter 12, you are exactly right and completely wrong all at once. And that's what chapter 12, uh, in some ways chapter 12 to 14 uh, is all about. Um, Folks, if you have ever thought yourself maybe you've caught yourself catching yourself in these terms, thought yourself more spiritual than those around you, either because of who you are or the the gifts that you have, the talents that you bring to church or the experiences that you've had maybe, perhaps your conversion story that you have or because of your family heritage uh, compared to her or compared to him. Um, Paul has some words for you, here in 1 Corinthians 12, or on the, if the shoe's on the other foot and if you've ever felt yourself spiritually on the outside, perhaps this is mostly how you feel about yourself, spiritually on the outside, what, what can you ever do about it? You know, I, I guess she just is more spiritual than I am. 
You know, I hear his conversion story. Gosh, I wish I had a conversion story. He just sounds more converted than me. She just seems so cut out for faith and for church and for... She seems so sincere in her walk with Jesus. I just, I just don't feel, I don't fit that mould. I'm more, much more conflicted. Brothers and sisters, Paul has some words here for you as well. I've got several points there, a little bit more meandering than last uh, week. The first is this, true spirituality comes from the one true spirit to every true Christian. This is where Paul wants the Corinthians to start as they think about the church around them and their contribution to it. True spirituality comes from the one true spirit for every true Christian. Would you read with me, please, from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, verse 1? Let's read together. Now, about spiritual gifts, brothers, I don't want you to be ignorant. Let's start with what's spiritual, says Paul. Uh, and in fact, the, the Greek word for the, the spiritual gifts there, it's a bit, it's a bit more than gifts, actually. It's just, let's talk about what's spiritual. Let's talk about spirituality or spiritual things. Uh, He gets to gifts in just a moment, as we'll see. So, now, about spiritual matters or spirituality, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. And just notice the mute idols, compared with Psalm 115 that was read to us before. Notice the mute idols idols, they've got nothing to say compared to the spirit who inspires true speech. You were influenced and led astray to mute idols, end of verse 2, start of verse 3. Therefore, I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Now, what's going on there? I think Paul, he wants, to, he wants to reset the bar for them on what spirituality even is, on what is spiritual. You know, you want to weed out the unspiritual ones in your midst, you want to lift up the spiritual ones in your church. Well, the unspiritual ones, let me tell you, Corinthians, that was all of you before you had the Spirit, you see? Uh, When you were led astray by mute idols. But the one thing that the Spirit teaches everyone, do you want to know the defining mark of the Spirit, of a spiritual person, Paul is saying, here is the top tier of spirituality for your church, it's this, it's the ones who say, Jesus is Lord. That's the top tier of spirituality. Now, wait a second, that, that is a very low bar for spirituality in a church, is it not? Are you a spiritual person? Well, have you been taught by the Spirit of God in light of the Gospel of Jesus to say and to mean and to believe in my heart that Jesus is Lord? Have you? Then you're a spiritual person. Let's talk about spiritual things. And you Corinthians are right. People who say that, yes, that kind of person, the spiritual kind of person, should have a special place in your church. You're right, they should, because that is your church, Corinthians, you see? Brothers and sisters, what about in our day? Do churches, are there ways that our church, do churches ever make a kind of layering, stratifying, ranking, something of a hierarchy of believers against one another in church? So, are there traits 
that we'd say mark people out as being the spiritual ones amongst our number. Um, I think sometimes, you know, you do listen to a conversion story from someone or, or you hear some extraordinary experience that a Christian friend has had, um, some marvellous kind of wow, extraordinary moment um, in their life, uh, or for that matter, you, you hear of someone, some Christian who is experiencing some deep kind of oppression in their life, and we kind of peg one person a little bit higher, spiritually, and we peg another one a little bit lower. Have you ever seen that in church life? Um, Paul is saying, no, it, it might sound boring to your ears, uh, and there's, there's nothing wrong with wonderful, you know, extraordinary, exhilarating experiences, but spiritual in the sense of having to do with the Spirit of God, the only spiritual that matters, well, that has a defining characteristic. It's the person who's able to say, Jesus, you are my Lord. In fact, Jesus, you are the Lord. In verse 4, that's the, the kind of spiritual that comes from the real, the triune, the one God in three persons the only spiritual that matters. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 4, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men or all men and women. So, will you champion true spirituality in your church, O Corinthians? See how he's leveled the playing field there in Corinth for them? Uh, but secondly then, secondly, uh, you are, Corinthians, absolutely exactly right that not every spiritual person acts just like you, O oh fellow spiritual Christian. And that's because the one Spirit, the one Spirit, the same Lord, the one God, gives many gifts, gifts that are different to the gifts that you have and prize and love and value, shock horror. Uh, let's read from verse 7. Shall we do that, verse 7? Now, so each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. One, there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom to another, uh, the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, and on the list goes, we'll read some more in just a moment. Would you please just look out for one thing, though, as we read this list? Where does tongues gifts of tongues, speaking or interpreting tongues, where does that fit in this list? We'll get to it in a moment. Um, if you're not familiar with the background, uh, that may seem a very strange question if you're kind of new to church or um, uh, uh, new to this passage, haven't looked at Corinthians 12 to 14 recently. If you're not familiar with the background, speaking in tongues, uh, what does that even mean, is, is a hotly debated topic uh, amongst Christians and has been for quite some time, especially amongst more Pentecostal or charismatic churches, but in all churches really. Um, some seem to hold it, I think this is fair to put it this way, as kind of the mark, if not of true Christians, and some would say that, if not of true Christians, then at least of kind of the, the really strong, full of faith, really firing in their Christian walk, this gift of speaking in tongues. Um, now, in the Bible itself, speaking in tongues, it shows up in a few places, actually. So, sometimes it's pretty obviously just talking about speaking other human languages, um, the tongue of Greek, the tongue of Hebrew, which James knows lots about now, uh, the tongue of Aramaic, 
you know, normal, it's just a way of speaking about languages. Um, and sometimes those languages are learned in the ordinary way, as is certainly the case in Paul's life, uh, with some of his languages anyway. And sometimes um, God gives the speaker an extraordinary and apparently sudden ability, miraculously, to speak a language that they haven't previously known. I think that's what's going on in Acts chapter 2. We've looked at that a couple of times recently. But in one or two places in the Bible, tongues seems to refer to speaking an unintelligible, non-human, allegedly divinely empowered kind of speech, uh, which, by the way, is a kind of speech that crops up in other religions too and has down the ages. Uh, Now, what's going on in Corinth? What kind of tongues are being talked about here? Um, Well, it sure sounds like the Corinthians are very excited Uh, that some of their folks speak in tongues. We're going to see that especially as we get to chapter 14. Um, And I suspect that they were doing the unintelligible, non-human language, allegedly divinely inspired speaking. Um, See if you would agree with me as we move through the next few weeks. But what's interesting to me is Paul gives those kinds of tongues no special treatment. No apparent privilege, even to the extent that he just seems to treat them like any other uh, gift from God, indeed like any other issue of human language, any normal human tongue. If you're going to speak it in church, make sure it makes sense, make sure it helps people, make sure it serves the church and we'll get to that more in chapter 14. But for now, to this church that's all about tongues here in Corinth, Tongues have become their spiritual yardstick in some way for the believers there. We're the ones making the spiritual contribution. Um, Where does Paul put tongues in this list of gifts that the Holy Spirit may give to the members of his church? Let's have a look. Verse 7. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good, right? To each one. To the one, there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom, To another, the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between Spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit and He gives them to each one just as He determines. Dead last... Am I right? Speaking and interpreting, dead last in the list. Um, Friends, if you have been part of a church or or a youth group for that matter or a ministry where you felt like a lesser Christian because you didn't speak in tongues or perhaps you wouldn't speak in tongues for whatever reason, then would you please hear this? From this list here, you are not less than them in the Lord. They are not more than you in the Lord. If you've experienced that, I want you to hold on to that um, and hear it loudly and clearly. God gives many gifts. One God, the same Spirit, one Lord, one. God gives many gifts. Does it trouble you that you haven't got that particular one? Verse 11, all these are the work of one and the same Spirit and He gives them to each one just as He determines. 
Well, I've taken us off on a little bit of a tangent, haven't I, with, uh, with regard to tongues and to try and situate us in the, the world of Corinth there. Let's just take stock of what we've seen so far. So can we sum up, what, uh, what, have we, what can we say so far? I think Paul wanted to lead these Corinthians to a place where they were able to look around one another at church on Sunday morning, see one another as human beings, more than that, as children of the Lord, look around at one another at church on Sunday morning, the people that God had stuck them with in this church plant there in Corinth, look around at one another and say three things. Is this a good summary? Number one, God in His wisdom has put me amongst these people. Paul wanted each of them to be able to say that. God has put me amongst these people. Number two, God in His wisdom has put these people here for my good with their gifts, with the expectation that I will grow in their company as each part does its work. And number three, in God's wisdom, I get the distinct sense that there is no place for me, therefore, to just coast along in church life. Is this a fair inference? There's no place, if, 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 I, if God has put me here and He's put me amongst you with all of your gifts that I might grow, then thirdly, in God's wisdom, I get the distinct sense there's no place for me to just coast along. He hasn't gifted me with the gifts and talents and abilities that I've got for me, just to suit me, to, to indulge my preferences, to, to show up and use my gifts as and when I feel like it. The body is not for me, he has gifted me for them, for these people around about me, for their good, for the common good. Now, does church need me? Are we getting back at that sense of self-importance? Does the church need you? Well, I don't know, I kind of shy away from that language actually of the church needing you because uh, if you decide, if I decide that well, I'll just stop coming or stop bothering serving or stop actually helping out in some way. I know that God will continue to look after His church. God takes care of His church pretty well. So, does the church need me in that sense? No, not really. But does the church need me in the sense of, have I got something worthwhile to give? Have you got something worthwhile to give? You bet you do. Is that the sense of it here? the way the gifts are all working, interrelated. It might be hard for you to figure out exactly what your contribution is. You might know very well what your contribution is. Let's read on. Here comes the body metaphor. So, 1 Corinthians uh, 12, verse 12, let's pick it up from there. The body, and uh, it's a metaphor, right? An analogy, human body, it's a metaphor. This one, the body is a unit, Though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. Do you see the analogy? Skip down to verse 14. Now, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it wouldn't for that reason cease to be a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? I'll just pause there. Folks, who does that bit speak to? Right? How does the foot 
how does the ear feel about their place in church? Are they the person, the foot and the ear, are they the person who's full of themselves? I've got the most important gift of all, I have something to share with you, what do you even do for the church, you over there, uh, whatever part of the body you, uh, is that the posture of the foot and the ear, what, what have you got to, or is it the person who tragically believes that they've got nothing to offer? I think it's that one, isn't it? Who has begun to feel that their contribution is slipping or diminishing, Perhaps they've got nothing left to offer. That, that new person who came along, they do it better than I do anyway. I don't really contribute anything, do I? Verse 16, because I'm not an I, I don't belong to the body. What have I got to offer? Can you hear it? Verse 18, but in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. And then verse 21 turns the spotlight around. Verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable and and don't miss the metaphor here folks, Um, he goes on to talk about the parts of our physical bodies that we cover up and though we cover them up they serve a unique and wonderful purpose, it's the human body that he's talking about and it's a vivid image, verse 23, and the parts that we think are less honourable we treat with special honour and the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honour to the parts that lacked it so that there should be no division in the body and that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. Now, let he who counts his brother an impediment, a hurdle, a nuisance, a pest, a blockage in church life. Take note of this, God has combined the members of the body. Do we have our ways today, I mean in the 21st century, here even perhaps at our church, do we have our ways of saying this, I don't need you, you're not needed here, we don't need you around here, have we got our ways of subtly saying that? Um, One commentator put it very memorably for me, just in the terms of the metaphor there, he said, ears that constantly hear, ears that constantly hear someone say how beautiful the eyes are, can easily get the idea that they are inconsequential. And the eyes can easily get the idea that they are all important. I think we can undervalue the contribution and place of seniors in church life. Um, I've been in churches with very few older Christians and, and they are the poorer for it, those churches. They lack wisdom, if I can say that, Um, gently, they lack stability, they lack a warmth that comes with the years of learning to put people and love ahead of uh, being seen to be right and just getting the job done. 
Um, I think we can sometimes undervalue the significance of hospitality, um, private, personal, in your own homes kind of hospitality. Um, sometimes those are the settings, aren't they, where the actual turning points in our spiritual lives happen. Not so much here at church, sometimes here at church, but often it's in that private conversation around your dinner table. Um, do we sometimes undervalue the gift of just showing up, <laughs> being here to serve, and I don't mean in big upfront ways or even necessarily on the roster kind of ways, but just the small personal ways that matter to the spiritual lives of one another, uh, that matter to that one new person that you come and sit beside. Um, may I say, I reckon, I look around our church life sometimes, I reckon the young boys in our congregation need to see older men the generations above them, who just show up to church every week. Um, men who order their lives to put church ahead of whatever else they'd be doing on Sunday morning. Do you know what I mean? Um, not show up necessarily to do anything or because they're on that roster. Um, certainly show up then, absolutely. That's about faithfulness and responsibility and all of those sorts of things. But to model the kind of masculinity that bows the knee to Jesus in the discipline of showing up to church. Um, if you want to take issue with me on that, let's have a chat afterwards, um, but that's just one of, one of my reads of what I reckon the younger blokes um, coming up in our midst might be helped by. Let's conclude. Let's wrap it all together. If you were to start a church from scratch, let's come back to that opening question that we began with. If you were to start a church from scratch, you're looking ahead. How are we going to begin a church in 10 years' time somewhere here on the Eastern Shore? If you were to start a church from scratch, start something totally new, if you were given a blank slate, where do you begin? Who'd be on your team? Who would you pick for the starting lineup? Let me be blunt. I would not choose you. Don't misunderstand me. It's not because I think I'm better, by the way. I wouldn't choose me either. If my aim was a church full of people, wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly devoted to the glory of the Lord Jesus and given to the good of their fellow man and woman in every detail down to the very fibre of their being, do I measure up to that? No, I wouldn't choose me. Do you measure up to that? But do you know what? God, in His wisdom, chose us. He chose you. Why would He do that? God chose you, brother or sister, to be part of His church, for the glory of His name, for the good of your fellow man. In the word, God chose you through the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't choose me because he needed me. He had Jesus after all. Jesus is the only one that you would choose in that equation. He's the only one wholeheartedly given to the glory of God and the good of his fellow human beings. He had Jesus. He is who he started the church with. And then he chose you and drew you into his church. The confession, Jesus is Lord, do you see? That's not just, it's not just the starting point for church life, it is the starting point, but it is the heartbeat, it has to remain the heartbeat. Jesus is Lord, that's what keeps my pride and arrogance about my giftedness in check, isn't it? Jesus is Lord. 
It's what keeps my frustration with you as you do or don't use your gifts in this or that particular way. Jesus is Lord, keeps that in check. It's what gives my gifts a sense of direction, whoever I am and however I'm using them. Why? Because I'm not the Lord and my gifts aren't for me. Jesus is Lord. How about we pray together? Our Father God in heaven, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. Father, where we have begun to believe that we are the all-glorious ones in church, show us Christ. Where we have begun to believe that there's no glory left for us, we're useless, we're not needed, we've, we've nothing to offer or do, show us Christ. As we learn to strive together for your name's sake, Father, would you not only show us Christ, but empower us to show Christ to one another and to the watching world. God, when people come to visit us here at church, get to know us here at church, find their place with us here at church, we pray that this would stick out. Here is a people who believes that Jesus is Lord and so he's Lord over our gifts and he's the Lord who is good to us. We ask it in Christ's name and for his name's sake. Amen.